0: I don't know about you, but I'm often trying to find peace, and I try to find it in a lot of different ways and a lot of different manners, one being um, trying to get my kid to go to sleep at a decent hour so I can have some time afterwards. And if you know Oliver, you know that's by midnight because he stays up so late. Uh, and if you hear someone screaming in the back, that's probably him. Other ways are trying to finish tasks so that, um, you know, they're not hanging over us or uh, trying to pay off debt to be in a better position. And we feel like that would just ease a burden and we would find peace in that or, or getting um, a bigger house or a better job. Or There's a lot of ways that we do this. Have you ever, and I, I feel like this applies more to a husband than a wife, but have you ever said, you know, I thought this is what you wanted. I thought this would bring peace in the relationship. I know I have said that. Likewise, what we see today, Palm Sunday, we see that Israel has been looking for peace through a coming Messiah. Messiah. They had been looking for someone who would sit on the throne of David and would reestablish them as a nation once again, would save them, would redeem them. Yet, for them, it wasn't just a whim and it wasn't just a short-term thing. They'd been looking for this for hundreds of years, and they'd been waiting for hundreds of years. And we see this anticipation growing from all the way back in Exodus 12, where they come out of Egypt— where Moses comes and saves them and redeems them and brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Then we see it as the sacrificial system is set up and they see the need for redemption and a future promised Messiah to come. We see it as kings are set in place over them and they are ruled and they start to rule the nations. Anticipation grows as Prophets proclaim restoration, the loving kindness of God towards them. And then hundreds of years later, Jesus comes onto the scene. A man who comes in the name of the God of Israel. A man who teaches the scriptures with power and authority. And not only that, but he begins to perform miracles and heals people in the name of their God. And it seems like they're finally going to get their peace. Like this is the one we've been waiting for. So then how do we get from that? How do we get from today, Palm Sunday, to in three days, this Messiah being beaten and crucified? What's happening here? What ignites this chain reaction that goes from this to that? If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 19, we start to get an idea of what's happened. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. We read, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, If these were signs, even the stones would cry out. And when he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, they, like us, often have the wrong idea of what peace is. And we see that this is the beginning of the end. There's a shift here in the ministry of Jesus and the way that he is viewed by the Jews. There is this Stark contrast between the reaction of the crowds and the response of Jesus. And that's what this stems from. And that's where we can get from here to the crucifixion. See, they thought this was the beginning of salvation for them, but it ended up being the beginning of harsh judgment. But if we look at this, why is this not the response that Jesus wanted? What was wrong here? The crowds are rejoicing. Blessed is the king. It seems like after all this time, the Jews are finally getting it. They're finally understanding who this guy was, the Messiah, come to save them. Yet there was a misunderstanding. There's a misunderstanding of what made for peace. Jesus said, would that you, even you, had known what makes for peace. After the crowds just shouted, peace in heaven. So they had a wrong understanding. Today I want to look at two mistakes, two misunderstandings that they had that caused them to rejoice, yet Jesus to weep. And hopefully through that, through that we can in turn worship and rejoice and praise Jesus in a way that is worthy and acceptable to him and one that does not cause weeping. So first off, what is the idea of peace that they had in mind? What is, what is true peace? They said, peace in heaven, heaven and glory in the highest. See, the, the people were proclaiming that Jesus is bringing with him a peace, yet Jesus weeps that they don't know what it is. So whatever they had in mind, again, was mistaken. They knew Jesus. They had seen him perform miracles. They had seen him heal people. And it seems like a good thing, but as we follow the life of Christ, we see that what they cared about was not what he came to give them. They were looking for their personal felt needs to be satisfied and didn't care about their spiritual needs. They sought felt needs over spiritual needs. You can see that they were proclaiming these things for what they had seen him do, the things that he had done, the miracles that he had done. And after three years of feeding and causing the blind to see and the deaf to hear and casting out demons and even raising people from the dead, they had seen miracle after miracle and followed him from town to town. But we get to this point, and the image that they had in mind was the idea of a miracle worker. One who could give them things that they wanted in life, physical things. They simply had a desire for the things that he offered and not for the person of Jesus. We can see a similar picture, I think, in an area that we live in, uh, an area that is very... Uh, has a very strong Christian culture and influence. Jesus is not just a means to good community and to entertainment and to being hashtag blessed. And maybe this is more to my generation, but Jesus isn't just your homeboy. He's not a culture or a a brand to align with. I mean, these are incredible blessings that can come from Jesus and from knowing him, but what are they? They are simply a byproduct of who he is. It doesn't mean they're a bad byproduct, but they are simply a byproduct. The Jews were looking for the byproducts of Jesus, and they wanted those without having him. We can often love who Jesus is without loving jesus himself we need jesus the person we need the peace of the gospel to transform our heart and our lives today and that's what they needed then that's what makes for peace that's how you become right with god and that's what jesus came to do he came because there was sin that created this enmity between us and god and he came to reconcile us back to God. There's no peace and there's no rest until we find that in Jesus. And the crowds missed it. The Jews missed it. Their Messiah came and they were looking at the wrong thing. And Jesus wept over it. They didn't understand. They rejoiced because they, they thought they found it. They thought they found it in their felt needs being satisfied. They sought the shadow and not the substance. See, them like us need the salvation of our souls and not just our ailments. And I think there's a warning here for us as well. Be sure that you know the person of Jesus and not simply the things of him. We need to know the person of him the God of the Bible. What are we looking for our peace in? Is it in the things of this world or is it in Jesus? And I think if we look at our lives, there's indicators of that. There's indicators of, of where, we're at, where we're at, how we use our time and our money. Are they to increase us and to make our life better and more comfortable and uh, cushion our future? and to make us look more impressive. What is distracting us from Jesus? A lot of the miracles and things distracted the crowds from who Jesus was. From the truth that he offered more than just those cool things. He was the Messiah come to save their soul. We live in a very me-centered culture, don't we? One that is focused on giving us what we want, and I think that can creep into the church, and we can start to hear a me-centered Jesus being preached. It says that God wants to give you whatever you want, for you to be whoever you want to be. Do whatever makes you happy, and that's right. In Matthew 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they shall be satisfied. I know that's not something that I naturally hunger and thirst for, right? That's something we have to strive for, righteousness. We need to lose our appetite for the world and the things in it and gain it for God and for his righteousness in our lives. To be satisfied in Jesus and to rejoice in him and not the other things, not the things of the world, not getting the desires of our heart. And let me just say, church, there is peace in Jesus today. If you're not experiencing that, there is peace in Jesus today for you. If you don't know him, there is peace in Jesus if you give yourself over to him. No matter what you're going through, in life, whether at home or at work, you can rest in Him and in His righteousness. And the rest of the things in life will fade away because they're meaningless when your eyes are set on who He is. They had a misunderstanding of what makes for peace. They weren't just looking for their personal felt needs met, though, it was something bigger as well. They were looking at national peace. If you go back with me to verses 41 through 44, let's read that again. We see there's something bigger going on here. It says that when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Again, the Jews are looking for this anticipated Messiah, years in the making, the throne of David, the rule, the Savior, nations coming under their reign again. Establish them as a People, again, he had come, yet they sought earthly kingdom. They sought an earthly kingdom over a heavenly kingdom. And now judgment, as we see here, is coming because they were unaware of their time of visitation. Why were they unaware? Didn't they know the purpose? Hadn't the prophets Told them for hundreds of years. I mean, we can kind of understand because they'd been stuck in this national mindset for so long. They had been stuck in building a nation and a military, and they had been oppressed for so long. And they had had these prophetic words of kingdom and of restoration. Yet after years of disobedience and rejection of God, they were blind to the Messiah before them. And if you read through the Old Testament, we can see that history. And we can see it building. And we can see how they get off track. And in the end, they lose the very thing they believed Jesus was going to give them. You see that Jerusalem is destroyed. And it was. Just a few years later, they lose the thing that they thought... He was going to bring them. Their eyes were set on the wrong thing. This starts, like I said, far back in the Old Testament, specifically a great place is in Zechariah 9. We see this anticipation, and I think it's good to see what they were looking for and how they got off track. So in Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. They were well-versed in their scriptures, the Jews were. They would have naturally had passages like this on their mind, especially as Jesus comes in on a donkey, right? This was a common thing for a king to be inaugurated on a donkey. It shows an intention of peace. Yet, they miss the kind of kingdom that he was proclaiming the kind of kingdom that he was going to bring for them. And in just a few days, we see Jesus declare what he was bringing in John 18. In John 18, 36, it says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. The Jews wanted that. That is exactly what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to ride in on a donkey and then ride out on a war horse, right? They wanted him to go out and take over the Romans to free them from this oppression that they had felt. But Jesus came and was clear. The mystery of the gospel revealed his intent was salvation for Jew. And Gentile, you see, his eyes were set on more than just Jerusalem. Yet in the end, they sought the earthly over the heavenly. A couple years ago, um, I was working in downtown Salt Lake, and I was working at this coffee shop, and it was in this like outdoor mall area. And one night, we got a notice from the city, and it said, um, hey, just so you know, this guy named Kanye West, he's coming tomorrow, and uh, he's going to do this, like, free outdoor concert um, right outside your shop. Um, He's calling it a church service, a Sunday service. Um, You know, you can spread the word. He's not, like, promoting it, but this is happening. Um, Sunday service is happening tomorrow morning. So the word got out, and, I mean, crowds were building. I mean, he's pretty popular. So literally thousands of people are coming, flooding this outdoor mall. People are climbing poles. People are on top of buildings. I mean, it was insane. Luckily, we had our shop, and we had, like, an overview view of it, so we could see it from there, and it was it was wild. And, you know, there was people from his past who knew his music. There was like Mormons who were coming, skipping their um, yearly whatever it was to come and see this. And it was just like a whole weird crowd mix, thousands of people. And it starts, and it's just a gospel choir singing these gospel songs. And I think at that point, everyone was a little confused of what was happening. And then after a few of those songs, this guy gets up, not Kanye, this other guy gets up, and he starts preaching the gospel. And then people are really confused of what's happening. And then after that, they just go back to some gospel choir. And I know a guy who loved his music. Uh, He was a regular at one of our shops, and I had asked him later, I mean, he, he was there early. He was waiting hours, front row type of thing, and... I asked him later, like, "What would th- you think of that?" You know, uh, and he wasn't exactly happy with what happened. He was a, a bit disappointed because he thought he knew what he was going to get, despite the fact that this was called a Sunday service. You know, there was no trickery here, but he did not like what what came, what he got. You know, Jesus was very upfront about his intent. He was upfront about what he was bringing, what he was promoting and proclaiming. It wasn't confusing, yet they missed it. They wanted the world, and he didn't give them that. Spiritual kingdom is built through gospel work. And they wanted military work. They wanted war horse. They wanted some Revelation 18 stuff. And that's coming, but that wasn't here. That's not what happened. They got their prophecies a little mixed up. And we see Jesus weeps over their ignorance. The ignorance that leads to judgment, that leads to weeping. See, Jesus' life is of, his kingdom is of laying down your life, it's humble. It's loving, it's filled of grace and humility. It's spread through us going into the world. We often want peace in the world, but Jesus is sending us out into the world to bring it to them. We're not going to get it from them. We bring peace to the world. We are it in the world because of the work of Jesus in our lives. He didn't come to give it, but he came to give himself. What do we take from that? You know, Jesus weeps over disobedience and Jesus weeps over unbelief here. Do we? Do we feel that? Do we see the, the heart of God here for a people? He's broken over their unbelief and their misunderstanding. Do we embrace that for ourselves and then bring it out into the world? Does it affect our lives? Does it play out in the things that we have and the things that we do? Again, there's a lot of ways that we use our finances, that we use our time, that we put our focus and attention on. And Jesus is calling us to not only be aware of what makes for peace, but to bring it into the world. You know, the issues that we see, the wars, the oppression, the injustice, the sin, they all spring from a lack of gospel influence in the world. And there's no amount of right policy or cultural shift or anything else that can solve that. Now again, those things can be band-aids and those can be good byproducts of Jesus, but the only thing that can bring peace in this world is the transforming work of the gospel. And we have been called to be the bearers of that if we know him. That is our responsibility now. The Jews would have been happy to stay in Jerusalem, to have comfort in their kingdom. We're often happy to stay in the confines of our little kingdom in our world. But what we see here is that that was taken away from them. Their kingdom was destroyed. It was flattened. And if they were not ignorant of what makes for peace, and if they're not ignorant of the true goodness of God, that would have been okay with them. They would have been all right, because nothing in this world has value, does it? Nothing has eternal worth like the gospel does. They didn't lose anything unless their sights were set on that which they lost. So what is keeping us from that? What is keeping us from bringing that into the world? Is it maybe like the Jews as a disobedience? Is it insecurity or fear or wrong priorities? Thinking too highly of ourself and our self-image and what people might think of us seeking our own kingdom and its stability in this world rather than the gospel going out and being funded in the world and seeing the kingdom of God growing. We see the crowds rejoiced and praised Jesus as King and Messiah. Yet in three days, crowds will shout for his crucifixion when they realized he wasn't giving them what they wanted they went from rejoicing to rejection when Jesus doesn't give us what we want the desires of our heart do we go from rejoicing to rejection or even the opposite when when life is great when we are getting the things that we want when we are wealthy, and we are growing in position, and we are having a big influence, and we just are satisfied, and we are comfortable. In those times, do we reject Jesus, because we don't need him. Jesus finds us in both of those places, and he wants to use both of those things for our good and his glory. Don't miss, like the Jews, that we need someone to save and rule our hearts, first and foremost. And though, although we can worship Jesus, we need to first have peace with Him through the salvation of our souls. Jesus came as the good news come into the world to cut off chariot and warhorse and And bow of enmity between us and God. Not between us and the world, us and God. So today, our call is to worship Jesus for who he is, the Savior and Redeemer, the bringer of peace. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you this morning for what you've done in our lives. We, we praise you for this week dedicated to the worship of your goodness and redemption. I pray that we would, if we don't know the peace that you offer, that we would find it in you alone and know that nothing in this world satisfies. And that when we find that, we would bring it and we would not keep that for ourselves, Lord. Give us grace as we go throughout our weeks and try to live a life that is pleasing to you, a fragrant aroma to you, Lord. In your name, amen.